Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Who should we call? <laughs> Hello? Hello? Um, I hope you can help me. I'm trying to connect with the Seymour, <laughs> Seymour jail time. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> Hi, is, is this I'm a hooker? Okay, can I speak to I'm a crook? <laughs> is this Hugh Druggy? <laughs> It's Amy. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. Nothing like some good old fashioned prank calls to perk up your day. Seriously,、uh, prank calls are pretty much the most fun. That was so invigorating. So much more than that cookie I just ate. Hi, listeners. I'm Amy Angelowitz. And I'm Will Johnson. You are listening to What the Crime, part of the Panoply Network. And I assure you that we are prank calling our co workers. For a reason. We sure are. On today's show, we are looking at names, not just your everyday run of the mill names like Will Johnson.、Huh. We're looking at the kind of names that you'd like to think that no parent would ever give their child. Names like Crystal Methany and Donald Popadick.、Mm. So they are both real people, and you'll hear their stories shortly as we look at cases where a person with a truly amazing name was arrested for a crime. But more than that, today we're trying to understand how our names affect us all. The subtle ways in which they determine the direction of our lives. So, in other words, does the name make the man? Or woman. Or woman. We definitely have some women with great names on today's show. That's right, we do. So, listeners, get ready to laugh, get ready to cry, get ready to have your mind blown as we explore the question Would a criminal by any other name smell as illegal? Part one Let the name fit the crime. It's pretty clear that names play a role in crimes in a wide variety of ways. So, criminals have gotten nicknames like Billy the Kid, Jack the Ripper, going back for centuries now. Yeah, I mean, I always like the mobster names like Charles Lucky Luciano and Al Scarface Capone. It's like their names helped build them into those larger than life legends. Isn't it the same thing for gang members? Don't they get to pick their own nicknames? I would certainly hope so. Or think so. I bet partly, you know, they do that to build a reputation and partly to make sure the police aren't able to trace them. You know, I also love me a good、uh, pseudonym or alias. So if I ever needed one, I think I'd go by Manita McCloud. Oh, I like that one. It has alliteration. It kind of makes me think about the sky.、Uh, my wife and I joke sometimes about if we ever had to go on the lam, we'd go by Peter and Sandy Pecan. You guys are nuts. 
That joke was intended, by the way. Yes, criminals do love their nicknames, but sometimes a person's real actual name gives their arrest report that certain je ne sais quoi that makes it go viral. Well, would you care to play a little guessing game with me? I'd love to play a guessing game with you. Wonderful. So I am going to give you a person's name, and then you're going to try to guess what they were arrested for. Got it. Okay, we're going to start with Jackie McBurney. Go. Uh, something Irish and burning. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> you got know. it partly. So 33-year-old Jackie McBurney of Maine was charged with arson. You got that part right. For setting fire to the kitchen and bedroom of her apartment on New Year's Day. So here's where it gets bad. The bedroom fire wrecked the entire building, leaving 12 people homeless. And in a very strange, but maybe not so strange coincidence, another building McBurney lived in had gone up in flames just a few months before. I think that's my new alias, McBurney. Uh, burning question, was Jackie found guilty? Oh my God, we're going to have so many dumb puns in this episode, aren't we? We are on fire. Ah. Back to Jackie. Yes. So Jackie was convicted of two counts of arson and is currently serving a four-year sentence. Ow. Uh, so next name, please. I'm going to get this one. Okay. All right. I present Calvin Wank. Calvin Wank. Oh, Lord. I, I don't want to guess. <laughs> okay. I'll just give it to you. So um, according to the police report, 56-year-old Calvin Wank was arrested in 2014 after several drivers reported him committing sexually lewd acts while in the parking lot and field next to a truck stop. The parking lot and the field, not just one. Yeah, right. both. Well, yeah. Wank. He was spreading his seed. Oh, Amy. That's I should bad. have known. All right. <laughs> um, well, perhaps you'd like to guess where Mr. Wank lives? I have no idea. Deposit, New York. Stop it. Nope. Can't make it up. And the truck stop where this all went down? Guess. You uh, have a guess? No? no okay. <laughs> I'm not familiar with a lot of truck stop names. Okay. Uh, uh, fair enough. It was Love's Travel Stop. You cannot make this stuff up. No, you really can't. So it's unclear if Calvin Wank was convicted, but still, the names are kind of just incredible. This game is hard because sometimes the name are indicative of what they did and sometimes not. True, but we're going to play anyway. Right. So I have another one for you, and I think you have heard this name before, but I'm going to just test how good your memory is. Crystal Metheny. Ah, uh, yes, Crystal Metheny. I do remember her name. I do remember we talked about it. I don't remember the crime. It had to do with meth? No. Come on, Will. It was oh. our Florida episode. Yeah. Okay. 36-year-old Crystal Metheny was arrested in May of 2014 for allegedly shooting an offensive missile into an occupied vehicle. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Well, it's a uniquely Florida charge, as are most of these crazy headlines. It's used for everything from firing a gun to throwing a rock or a bottle into a car. I kind of thought at first it might even be used for farting, but I guess not. In Crystal's case, it was for firing a BB gun at a car that was in front of her house. And while we know that Crystal was charged and released on a $5,000 bond, it's unclear if she was convicted for that BB gun incident. So shooting an offensive missile, I guess that's different from a defensive missile. It's worse. <laughs> You're starting it. Okay, but her name, Crystal yeah, Metheny. Yeah, but the name. So when a reporter from Jezebel called the sheriff's office to ask if Crystal's name was real, he was told, sir, this is Florida. We have a lot of interesting names here. Got one more good one for you. Donald Popadick. Donald Popadick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> his crime similar to Calvin Wayne. Uh, uh, correct. How'd you get that one? God, never would have guessed it. Donald Popadick, 63, was arrested for jogging nude in a park in Ottawa, Canada. Canada. 
I said it correctly. Canada. 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 People had been complaining for weeks about a man running without clothes, so the police kind of went to see for themselves, and they found Donald Popadick and arrested him after watching him strip down to nothing but his heart monitor. I'm fascinated by the fact that they were complaining for weeks before the police checked <laughs> this one out. They probably just were scared about what they were going to find. got to figure out his schedule. Uh, but anyways, Mr. Popadick pled guilty and was given a conditional discharge and three years of probation. In court, his lawyer noted that the attention he'd received because of his name had a profound effect on him. You know, Amy, my last name is Johnson. I do know that. So I know a thing or two about this stuff. Okay, I don't want to go down that road. What do you imagine that Rodney Ray Stoner got in trouble for? Rodney Ray, probably something to do with, I don't know, country music? (laughs) Come on, Will. Okay, you're not on the right track, but it's pretty easy to guess this one. Oh, Stoner. Yeah, Stoner. In August of 2014, Rodney Ray Stoner, 57, and his son, Adam Lee Stoner, Mm -hmm. were charged with allegedly growing marijuana in the garage of their family home. So apparently the two kind of came to authorities' attention after Rodney showed his crop to a relative and his two teenage daughters who happened to be taking a dare class at the time and recognized the marijuana. Bragging about your crop. Never a good idea. (laughs) Especially not to teenagers. Adam tried to pass off the crop as his and said that his dad had just kind of tolerated it and tried to. So the kid took the fall. Yeah, the kid took the fall. Maybe it was his crop. Anyways, Adam was charged with criminal production of drugs, which is a felony. And while there are no reports on how he fared in court, we do have to point out something really interesting with this case. So the same month that this went down, all the way across the country in Virginia, 42-year-old Paul Scott Stoner was also charged with growing pot. So he was alleged to have a much bigger operation. But still, coincidence? Maybe they're related? I hope they are. And and if they are, I kind of think they should consider putting out a Stoner Family Christmas album. I'm pretty sure that exists. I kind of want to sing some songs from it, but we'll move on. And that brings us to the final name in our game. Ready? I'm ready. It's a crime feed classic. His name is Connor P. Fudge. Connor P. Fudge. Sounds like a cartoon character. Uh, fudging his tax return. Nope. In 2013, the then 25-year-old was accused of stealing $501 in cash and confections from the ice cream shop where he used to work. So security cameras had caught Mr. Fudge entering the store after hours and allegedly stealing a boatload of ice cream. I'm curious to know whether he was going for the ice cream or the cash or he really wanted both. It seems like he wanted both. It's interesting, Amy, but some of these names, you know, they're just funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them seem to eerily fit the crime that the person was accused of. That's what we're getting at, right? Like they were somehow destined to get arrested for this specific thing. It really does seem that way. And there is actually a whole body of psychological research that suggests that a person's name might kind of guide the course of their life. Much more on that coming up next. Part two, nominative determinism. So far, we've been talking about people accused of crimes that somehow dovetail with their names. And we surface the question of whether a name could be a fate. And there is actually a psychological theory about this, and it is called nominative determinism. This is great. I knew at some point having Amy as a co-host who studied psychology would come in handy. Tell me more. So this idea began with an Austrian psychologist named William Steckel. He was an early follower of Freud, by the way. So he identified something he called compulsion of the name. And in 1952, Carl Jung referenced the idea. Jung wrote, what Steckel means by this is the sometimes quite gross coincidence between a man's name and his peculiarities or profession. 
Oh, wow. So we're a little late to the party on noticing this. If there was a party in the human mind, Freud and Jung were the first people there. Listen to what else Jung wrote about this idea. He said, Are these whimsicalities of chance or the suggestive effects of the name, as Steckel seems to think? Or are they more meaningful coincidences? So in other words, is the name the chicken or the egg? Exactly. So... That question is still up for debate. And it sounds like psychologists have actually studied this. Oh, yes. So this idea floated around in the ether for a while. Then in the 1990s, John Hoyland, who was the then editor at The New Scientist, noted in an article that he saw scientists picking up areas of study that amusingly kind of fit their names. And he coined the phrase nominative determinism. And he actually asked readers to send in examples of this. So one respondent had trawled through the American Directory of Physicians and found a dermatologist called Rash, a rheumatologist called Knee, an orthopedic surgeon called Bone, and a psychiatrist named Couch. So there were 18 doctors with the surname doctor, obvious there, 10 named blood, 19 named fix, cure or heal, and 65 named flesh, gore, ache, or loony. But what you're telling me, so to think about this, makes me feel like it could be coincidence, maybe. How are we sure this is a psychological effect? So in 2002, researchers at SUNY Buffalo studied how a person's name might kind of guide their life decisions. And they wanted to see if there was a correlation between a person's name and where they chose to live and what they chose to do for their profession. Their study was titled, Why Susie Sells Seashells by the Seashore. Again, five times. No. (laughs) Anyways... The study, which shall not be named, found some pretty fascinating things, like um, that Florences are disproportionately likely to live in Florida, that Georgias are much more likely to live in Georgia than would be expected by chance. They also found an inflated number of Lewises in Louisiana, and that this name-matching effect held true even when they accounted for age and race. They also found the same effect within cities. Okay, but isn't it possible that people were given the name because of where they live? The authors thought of that too, Will. So... They looked specifically at people moving to a different state. So they found that on average, women were 18% more likely to move to states resembling their first names than they should have been based on chance, and that men were 4% more likely to move to cities that resembled their names. So I could move to, like, Williamsburg, Virginia, or Wilmington, Delaware. I think it's something you should look into. Uh, Amy, you said before that these researchers looked at career choices, too. They did. So specifically, they looked at whether dentists were more likely to be named Dennis or Denise. The likelihood of someone being named Dennis in the U.S. is really low, about 0.145%. And there were nearly twice as many dentists named Dennis as would have been expected by chance. All right. So what do the authors think is going on? To put it bluntly, they feel that, you know, people prefer things that tend to remind them of themselves. So we form positive associations with things like our birth dates and the sound of our names. And the authors think that those positive associations may kind of guide subtly our decision making. They wrote, we obviously have no way of knowing what people were thinking when they made these major life decisions. But we think that in the large majority of our findings, people were extremely unlikely to have been aware of the basis for their decisions. Okay, so they think a person's name actually can have a subtle, unconscious pull on them. They do. Nominative determinism for the win. Okay, okay, but you're telling me, or they're telling, about first names. Mm -hmm. Jackie McBurney, Donald Popadick. It's their last names that are funny, right? Yeah. Right. So is there any proof beyond this coincidence of the doctor's names you mentioned before that a last name can influence someone's choices? So the lead author on that 2002 study, Brett Pelham, he published a new study last year in the Journal of Self and Identity. And this time he looked at men who have the kind of old-fashioned last name that corresponds to a profession like 
baker, carpenter, farmer? I like to think that maybe back in the day you would have been like Amy Crime Blogger, had had blogs existed. And you might have been uh, Will Ukulele. Oh, nice. <laughs> but let me tell you about the study because it gives statistical weight to all of this. So the authors looked at 11 examples, and across the board, men were more than 15% more likely to work in occupations that match their surname than would have been expected by chance. So this stayed true even when taking into account race and education level. So more than 15%. Mm-hmm. So just because of this positive association, you take up carpentry? I mean, my mind is really kind of blown by this, Amy. We are very strange creatures. I cannot argue with that. So do these researchers think there's a chance that having a last name with a criminal second meaning could influence someone's decision in a negative way? There's no way to know that for sure. Unless somebody listening would like to set up a study, go for it and let us know what you find out. But if your name can pull you to live in a specific state or gravitate toward a specific profession, it certainly seems possible that it can suddenly guide you towards bad decisions too. So any research that we know of on names and criminality specifically? There actually is. So researchers at Shippensburg University in Pennsylvania wanted to look at the link between names and juvenile delinquency. So to do this, they took all of the 15,000 names that parents had given boys between 1987 and 1991, and they created this kind of crazy equation to weight them by popularity. Hmm. All right. Tell me more. Okay, so Michael was the most popular name in that time period, so it got a ranking of 100. David was a bit less popular, but still up there, so it got a ranking of 50. But then the really unique names that a much smaller number of people have, like Ernest, Preston, and Tyrell, they got a ranking of 1. All right, I see, I think. So you don't actually need to fully understand the weighting system or the equation. Just know that once the researchers had it, they looked at the relationship between name popularity ranking and the likelihood that someone with that name ranking had been referred to the juvenile justice system. So they found an inverse relationship, actually. So in other words, the more popular the name, the less likely a person was to enter into the juvenile justice system. Ah, these poor people who are already living with an unpopular name. Why? Why would that be the case? Okay, so the authors pointed to a lot of potential reasons. So for one, they noted that kids with unique names are more likely to have parents with lower incomes and education levels, more likely to live in single-parent households, both things which correlate with criminal activity. But personally, I kind of don't buy that. I mean, I live in Brooklyn, and people are choosing the weirdest names for their kids. Well, see how they turn out, but I know what you mean. Like Brooklyn Beckham or uh, St. West. Yeah, I mean, Liam, Noah, Mason, and Aiden were among the most popular boys' names of 2015. So it kind of feels like all bets are off with this line of reasoning. But I do think that another point the authors made is really, really interesting, and it has some huge implications. They note that names affect how other people see us. There's been some really interesting research over the years, and they found that people associate slum names with warmth, honesty, and success, and others with more harmful traits. So I wonder if you have one of those more unusual names, especially if it's one that kind of sparks a negative association. Do people's unconscious expectations of you kind of affect you, and do they treat you differently as a result? And does it all become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. So maybe a person unconsciously shapes their behavior to fit other people's expectations. Or maybe when other people make assumptions, there's no way out of them, even if they're totally off base. I have a story that speaks to that. Let's hear it. Okay. So actually, I'm going to start by uh, reading you a snippet of the article from the Sun Sentinel. It begins... 
The judge did a double take and there were giggles aplenty in the bond court Wednesday when a bailiff announced the name of a man arrested for drug possession, Edward Cocaine. Ah, yes, Edward Cocaine. So I'm kind of surprised he hasn't come up yet in this episode. Well, I was saving it. So... Well, I think we all may have judged him a little bit too soon. So let me fill in anyone who isn't up to date on the Edward Cocaine case. So in 2014, Edward Cocaine, real name, by the way, was pulled over for a traffic stop and was arrested when officers found an unidentified number of Xanax on him. His court appearance read a little bit like a comedy sketch. The judge asked, how many times have the police told you to step out of the car during your life? And Edward responded, just about every time I get pulled over. This poor guy. Yeah, so, of course, Edward's case went viral on the internet. People Magazine wrote a story about him, and, of course, Crime Feed covered it. But none of us paid too much attention to how his case went in court a month later. And as it turns out, Edward had a prescription for the Xanax, and he was just carrying the pills in a different bottle, and the charges against him were dropped. All right, so the police jumped to a conclusion based on his name. And then we, the public, did the same thing. I think so. And when Edward was in court, he explained that his great-grandparents had come to the U.S. from Greece in the 1920s, and they had selected the name cocaine unknowingly. I've been stuck with it ever since, he said. So I kind of love what he said to the Sun Sentinel as he walked out of the court with his charges dismissed. He said, I don't feel like I committed a crime. I'm very happy. Naturally high. All right. Well, I, for one, I'm really glad he he got to clear his name. Yeah, me too. And make a good pun in the midst of it. Louise is in Louisiana. Farmers who farm cocaine to defend themselves in court against drug charges. Is your mind about to pop? Well, next up, a look at yet another strange name phenomenon. Part three, the three name phenomenon. Amy, do you have a middle name? I do. It's Beth. Amy Beth. Mm Mm-hmm. So would you ever consider using it regularly? Maybe. My grandpa used to call me Beth Ames or sometimes just Ames. I think if I had the choice, I'd rather just be a one-name wonder. That's a good idea. That actually makes me trust you a little bit more. What do you mean by that, Will? Well, Amy, there's another phenomenon we need to look at today. It's called the three-name theory. And it first came to my attention in the movie Conspiracy Theory when Mel Gibson's character called it out. So what is the theory? Here it is, that assassinations are almost always committed by people who go by three names. Yeah, like John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald. They come right to your mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So same for James Earl Ray, Mark David Chapman, even Jared Lee Loughner, who shot Gabrielle Giffords in 2011. This is making me feel weird about all the people I know who go by three names. I mean, <clears throat> we've got a three-namer who works on the show. Uh-oh. Well, it gets worse, Amy. If you rank America... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. American serial killers by number of victims, which I don't really do a lot, you'll see that a lot of them use three names, like Gary Leon Ridgway, John Wayne Gacy, Paul John Knowles is another one. Yeah, creepy. Well, let's not get totally creeped out. Let's look at it logically like we did with the nominative determinism idea. In researching this three-name theory, I came across an interesting piece from Brian Palmer at Slate. He has a few theories on what's happening. Option number one, it's all an illusion. Uh, I like that one, but you just gave a lot of examples otherwise. All right, well, here's here's the idea, that when I tell you to think of three-name assassins or serial killers, you can easily identify a few, and you did just that. Mm-hmm. But there are others who go by two names that just don't pop into mind as easily. Here's how Palmer put it in his piece. The three most famous political assassins in U.S. history used their middle names, but many others did not. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. So the two-name assassins just didn't end up as notorious, either because they didn't succeed in their assassination attempt, or maybe the politician they killed didn't have the same historical legacy, sadly. Palmer gives the examples of Richard Lawrence, who failed in his attempt to shoot Andrew Jackson, and Leon Sholgosh, who assassinated William McKinley in 1901. Now that you mention it, some very notorious serial killers who had two names popped to mind. Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. I'll stop there. Well, yeah, and here's where things get interesting. The second theory Palmer talks about is a popular one, that the three-name phenomenon persists because law enforcement and the press start referring to a person by three names after they commit a heinous crime, possibly as a way to avoid confusion with others who have the same name. So you commit a terrible crime, and then all of a sudden your middle name, like, comes out of the woodwork? It reminds me of when you're a kid and your parents are angry at you and they call you by all three names. Yeah, and you would be like Amy Beth in the news if you did something horrible. I hope I never do. This theory made a lot of sense to me too, but Palmer actually debunks it. I know this is a roller coaster for you. It looks Mm -hmm. like most of these killers referred to themselves by three names before they committed their crimes. Whoa, what? Yeah, so Lee Harvey Oswald appeared on television just months before killing JFK, and he used his middle name. John Wilkes Booth was listed in playbills with all three names prior to the assassination of Lincoln. So then I guess that the only other option is that there really is a connection going on between three names and committing high-profile crimes. Well, so here's the final theory Palmer landed on. He put it this way. Would-be assassins might embellish their own names to sound more grandiose. Middle names were a point of pride when they first became popular in the U.S. in the 19th century, and I do think they still lend that sort of 
pomp today, if you will. Definitely. And it could be that somehow going by three names fits the persona of someone who would commit the kind of high-profile murder that gives a person this kind of notoriety. I will forever have a different association with three-name people. Well, don't lump them all into one place, Amy. It's not a case of determinism, absolutely. The overwhelming majority of three-namers are upstanding citizens, so don't discriminate. I will try. I'm not sure how well, but you have managed to make it through this entire segment without even telling me your middle name. Would you like to know? I would. Lawrence. Lawrence. Yes. And would you ever use it? Uh, probably not. Okay. If you ever do, I will be very suspect of you. Anyway, we've talked about nicknames, first names, last names, and three names. But what about new names? Crime Feed correspondent Emily Kaiser tackles that subject next. The lowdown on name changes. I'm getting married in a few months, and I went from wanting to keep my family name, Kaiser, to not caring either way, to ultimately deciding that I wanted to be Emily Andre. My fiancé has no strong feelings on the subject. He figures my name is my choice. After all, Emily Kaiser won't be that fundamentally different from Emily Andre. When I admitted that I wanted to be Mrs. Andre, I started wondering what it takes to legally change my name, and I quickly went down an internet wormhole. Name change laws are determined by state, and I live in Washington, D.C., My state, well, district, has a handy-dandy 37-step document to guide me through the process. My first moment of panic came with number seven, providing an original birth certificate. Where did my parents put that thing? And when it comes to name selection, there are limits. You can't change your name to commit or get away with a crime. You can't change your name to escape debt or liability. You can't change your name with the intention to mislead. You can't pick a racial slur. You also cannot choose something that is offensive, intimidating, or obscene. Technically, you're not supposed to choose a name that includes numerals or punctuation, but we all saw Prince do it. R.I.P. Purple One. But since I am changing my name due to marriage, it's relatively straightforward. But what about when it's not? What are the emotional and social ramifications of changing your first name? I'd like to introduce you to Jamie, spelled J-M-E. She lives in Seattle, where she runs Motley Zoo, an animal rescue. Jamie went through the name change process last year to officially remove the first two vowels of her name. For her, the desire to change her name started in the first grade. She went to school with another Jamie. Our Jamie spelled her name J-A-M-I-E, while the second Jamie was J-A-I-M-E. Jamie number two proudly scrawled her name on a bathroom wall, and our Jamie mistakenly took the blame. My teacher just came and grabbed me out of my desk and yanked me by my arm and dragged me into the bathroom, and she started screaming at me about how I was vandalizing the bathroom and why would I ever do that, and... Um, She was just so mad at me. And I was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And she's like, yes, you did. This is your name. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not even spelled right. I wouldn't spell my own name wrong. And I could just see the look of like, oh, God, like on her face. And but she she didn't back down and she made me clean it up. Jamie's relationship with the other Jamie was strained, to say the least. And pretty much from that point on, I really didn't like her at all. But somewhere around ninth grade, they became friends. I had to figure out how how to distinguish myself from her so people weren't confused. I was the good Jamie and she was the bad Jamie. I just remember thinking, well, all the letters that confuse people are so unnecessary. Like, my name still sounds the same if you take out all the letters that people mix up anyway. She became Jamie, spelled J-M-E with all lowercase letters. And then I just did it like that forever, forever since. Jamie has used this name for decades. But last year, she decided to make it official. I'd wanted to change my name for so long, but I just never really got around to doing it. And 
Finally, I was like, well, it's like a couple hundred bucks and I have some time. Jamie went to her local city courthouse and sat before the judge as her petition was reviewed. He's like, so I see you want to change your name, but not really change your name. And he's like, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't do it that way. And it took like less than five minutes. Her name does cause some confusion. So people often, they call and ask for me and they are like, is Jimmy there? <laughs> or they say Jim or, you know, they're like, I don't know what name this is. These are just your initials. We heard earlier in the episode that a name might unconsciously influence life decisions. Could a name change prompt someone to live a life of crime? Let's take a look at Bizao Dudu Zapri Bop Bop Bop, a 30-something from Madison, Wisconsin, who changed his name from Jeffrey Wilski in 2011. He has become internet famous in the years since after several strange brushes with the law. Was it the new name that led Bizao to crime? Probably not. Bizao has a very detailed explanation for this name. Bizao means the explosion of awareness of the interconnectedness of the infinite love in the universe. Dudu means the struggle of our daily lives with that awareness, that with love comes chaos. And Zapati Bop 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 refers to the outcome of all that struggle, which is often ironic, especially because all life ends in death. It's eccentric for sure. His lawyer told the Huffington Post that Bizao has a history of mental illness and drug abuse, two things that can work in a vicious cycle. His lawyer also said something that struck me. He said, not to say we shouldn't laugh at the infinite absurdity life presents, but at the same time, as we smirk, judge, and dismiss, we must strive to remember one simple fact. The most important part of a name is the person behind it. Would you ever change your name? Probably not. Okay. Listeners, would you? And if so, what to? Follow us on social media. Go on to facebook.com slash crimefeed and tell us. The most important part of a name is the person behind it. I like that. And I'd like to repeat that to everyone who ever made fun of my last name. Poor Will. I like that sentiment, too. It's an interesting answer to the does the name make a man question that we've been trying to untangle this episode. The name can subtly influence a person's actions, but it just can't be the whole entirety of who you are. Amen to that. And on that note, we'd like to end our show with some cases of mistaken crime identity. Take, for example, Father Al Capone of St. Michael's Parish in Massachusetts. Over at RoadsideAttraction.com, I read about a Ted Bundy who does sales at a tax firm in Chicago and a Jeffrey Dahmer who works at an electric company in Texas. That's bad. Almost as bad as having a name that might make you a criminal, sharing a name with someone who already is one. I give you the case of 26-year-old Samuel M. Jackson of Chicago. He filed a lawsuit against a background check company because it allegedly seeded information into his report on three other people with the same name. Two of them were in prison for sex offenses. Yikes. Yeah, and the faulty information actually cost him a job. I bet he wishes you were just getting mixed up with Samuel L. Jackson. Mm. I think that's actually what I've gotten out of this episode. I have a new appreciation for my name. I never realized how great it is to know that I'm the only person in the world with my name. Well, I'm sticking to Peter Pecan as an alias. I like it. Listeners, we hope you're feeling a whole new appreciation for your name, too. And whether your name is common, unique, criminal, or something a prank caller would love, remember, you are so much more than the letters on your driver's license. No matter what you think of nominative determinism, there's this wonderful thing called free will. Use it well. Next week on What the Crime, find out what a morning glory and a note job are. Get your mind out of the gutter. 
Join us next week to find out. And in the meantime, head to crimefeed.com for lots more nominatively determined crimes. What the Crime is presented by Investigation Discovery, America's leading mystery and suspense network. It's researched and written by the lovely Kate Torgovnik May. Those are all her three names. It's hosted by uh, William Lawrence Johnson, Emily Ivy Kaiser, Barry Elizabeth Blitch, and me, Amy Beth Angelowitz, which is my legal name. It's produced by Paul Giannis and Liz Massey, recorded and mixed by William Joseph Powers, and edited by William Lawrence Johnson. Music is by Loose Weeks, and artwork is by Anon Galat. We hope you know by now that What the Crime is available on iTunes, and we hope that you've already subscribed, listened, and enjoyed. We will see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.